have a very full house I see here today, so hopefully you're all really interested in what we're going to be talking about. So my guest today is Alexandre Ricard, who is the CEO of Pernod Ricard, and that's a company which was co-founded by his grandfather in 1975. Uh, it makes some brands you may be familiar with, such as Chivas Regal, Martel Vodka, or Martel Cognac, sorry, Absolute Vodka, and of course, Jameson Irish Whiskey. Um, Pernod Ricard is worth about 32 billion euros and has 18,000 employees in 85 countries. So, Alex, this is a large international company, but it's also your family business. It's part of your family's heritage. So, how do you think that changes the way you approach leading the business? Uh, well, first of all, um, it gives you a sense of responsibility and purpose. That's really important, especially when you know that you have a, a family uh, behind. Second, uh, I think it allows um, all of our colleagues to do their day-to-day -day business, but also think, always think long-term. Long -term, and I think this is critical. And then two focus areas, people, because we're a people business and people are extremely important, just as in a, a family. And the other area of focus, which are also people, are our consumers. So I'd say these four elements are critical, especially when you're in a family business, and it allows you to do that. And do you think this long-term focus is a more unusual in the business world, which tends to be a bit more... Yeah, you know, the, the world is extremely volatile. There are a lot of short-term pressures here and there. Um, and when you have a sense of purpose, uh, when you have a, uh, a shareholder behind you that's here for generations, it does allow you to manage what I would call, try to manage the perfect balance between short-term and long-term. Because of course you also have to solve short-term problems, but... There are a few from time to time. Of course. <laughs> so, um, you said that you want the business to stay true to the values of your grandfather, Paul Ricard. So what are those values and how are they continued within the company? The, the, the values in a company are critical, um, especially if you want to survive long term. And it's fair to say that the values that started uh, with our founders and specifically with, with my grandfather, Paul Ricard, are values that we, uh, we nurture uh, today to keep on changing. Uh, so value number one is entrepreneurship. Having the entrepreneurial mindset to really um, capture growth opportunities, know how to deal with challenges, know how to basically embrace change and embrace new technologies and leverage them uh, to, to their best. There's also a strong value of mutual trust. Uh, in today's world, it's even more important, especially when you have a heavily decentralized business. Uh, when you're decentralized, but you have clear global guidelines, what it allows you to do is to be extremely fast and agile on the ground. And to be decentralized and empower your teams on the ground, you need mutual trust and transparency. So th this is a, a second critical value uh, to, to create value. And uh, the, the last uh, important uh, set of values for us is uh, the integrity the integrity of our business and the integrity of our brands and our products. That's absolutely critical for us. 
So we're in the wines and spirits uh, industry. And so we have a clear control, I, would, I was going to say, from grain or grapes to glass. Okay. Control of the supply chain to really have confidence in the integrity of our products, which also includes uh, a terroir approach to our business, which has a big impact uh, on the quality of our products and on which climate can have a quite a big, big impact. Really? Yes. So can you explain the concept of terroir to maybe those who are not familiar with it? So almost all of our products have an origin. So if it's wines, there are specific wine regions in many, many countries around the world, and they all have their own terroir. And the terroir is the vineyard from which the wine comes from. Bordeaux, Bourgogne, in our case as well, around the world, in Argentina, in Australia, New Zealand, Spain, California, other states in the US. And in spirits, it's exactly the same. And so, for instance, Irish whiskey comes from Ireland, Jameson comes from Ireland, uh, Scotch, Chivas in particular, but other Scotch brands we have, like Ballantines, the Glenlivet Single Malt, or Rose Salute, they all come from Scotland. You cannot do Scotch elsewhere. And by the way, it's called Scotch. Uh, cognac comes from that little uh, uh, region in, in France called Cognac, and so on and so forth. And we use ingredients, uh, natural ingredients, whether it's wheat, grain, you know, barley, or grapes. And Climate is impacting uh, yields. Yields is the, the number of grapes you can extract to do your wine, for instance, or your, your champagne or your cognac. It's impacting um, the whole harvesting, uh, and it's impacting quality as so well. So is the harvest happening at a different time, or like what's, what's yes, happening there? Yes, yes. Okay. It's being delayed more and more, depending on which re region you're in. And so it's The, the climate is absolutely critical to business like Pernod Ricard. And my, my grandfather, um, Paul Ricard, uh, more than 50 years ago, was really conscious of that. Because um, he, he was already involved in environmental activism in the 60s, right? Pretty yes, he was, he was an activist from an environmental point of view. And he decided to launch uh, l'Institut Océanographique Paul Ricard for the protection of the Mediterranean Sea, because it saved his life when he was much younger. Um, and, and today the ocean is critical and has a, a strong impact uh, on, our, on, on, on climate, actually. So where are you seeing the biggest impacts of climate change on Pernarica? Like, is it particular regions? Is it particular products? Well, it's, gl it's global in terms of um, uh, we, we do see um, uh, the temperature going up. Yep. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we do see the sea being agitated as well. And again, it's impacting um, basically our own ingredients. Um, when you became CEO three years ago, you were taking charge of a company that has some brands that have been around for two or three hundred years. And they all have this concept of terroir, as you say. So there's a long history and tradition there. So how did you decide what to preserve and what needed to change? So the, the board of directors, so um, we're, we're a listed company. Uh, the board of directors um, decided to appoint me CEO in 2015, but they announced it. Uh, and that's also, I would say, part of what family companies can do. They announced it in 2012, which gave me a two to three years transition with my predecessor, Pierre Pringuet. And what the board asked me to do over that period of time is to think of what would be my three key objectives. 
So two and a half years down the road, when I was officially uh, appointed, uh, they asked me, what are your three key objectives? And after two and a half years, I could only think of two. Well, I mean, it's not, I'm not binary, by the way, but I could only summarize them into two clear objectives. Objective number one is about growth, growing the business. Healthy growth, which is first growing the top line uh, and then all the way through to the performance of our business. And the second objective, which is equally as important, but a lot less tangible, you, you cannot really touch it, but you, you can feel it. I said it's mindset, having the right mindset, the entrepreneurial spirit, the winning mindset, the desire to really uh, conquer the world and have an impact, um, and the capacity to basically embrace change in a very fast-moving world where our consumers are changing dramatically. Yep. And that's where we really, really decided to refocus completely on the consumer and decided to turn around our business, which you know, we used to view, just like the rest of the industry, our business from a segmental, traditionalistic point of view, tequila, gin, whiskey, vodka, and so on. What if we were the consumer and looked through the consumer lens, our business, and they don't see tequila, gin, whiskey, vodka. They see, depending on where they are, who they're with, the time of the day and of the week. What the occasion is. Exactly. And so we've become a consumer occasions-based organization. Well, this brings me to your um, tagline, which is Creator de Convivialité. So for the non-French speakers in the audience, can you explain what that means? So the, the French have this thing where uh, there, there are a number of words that we cannot really translate word by word. They have them in Dutch as well, so this audience <laughs> will be familiar with this. So, créateur de convivialité. Convivialité is part of our DNA, and what convivialité under the French uh, wording means, it means togetherness. It means sharing genuine moments, authentic moments uh, with people. It's moments that we all remember, little moments that we share together with people at work, with family, or with friends. And our vision, Créateur de Convivialité, is to have our brands, the services and the experiences that go with them, be parts of these moments. By the way, excess cannot be convivial. Uh, by, so by definition. By definition. Certainly according to French people. Irish people might have a different idea. So responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, there, 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 there are a couple of Irishmen sitting right, right yeah. here in front of us. But so, convivialité really means also responsibility and sustainability. That's interesting. Um, so then you've, you changed your focus from, this, uh, from categories, drinks categories, to these like moments of conviviality. So what kind of moments did you come up with? Like what, what, what did you learn about your consumers and how they use, consume your product? So, uh, so consumer occasions. Uh, in the US, they call them uh, demand spaces. In Asia, they call them mux moments of consumption. It's true, the French have this slight romantic approach. It sounds nicer approach. in French, I have to say. Uh, moment de convivialité. <laughs> um, if, if I take the, the French example, the, the biggest mm, demand space or uh, experience de convivialité is the aperitif moment. And the aperitif moment, which means before lunch or dinner, uh, to open the aperitif. Um, 
you basically, uh, we, we can target that moment with a portfolio of brands that suit perfectly well for that moment. Ricard uh, being one of them, uh, which is an aniseed uh, spirit, but also the trendy chic aperitif with some champagne brands or, or uh, low ABV wine uh, brands like Lille and so on. Which is a new trend, right, in the industry, these low alcohol wines. And it's picking up, it's picking up. Uh, then you have, for instance, the high energy moment. So this is uh, much later at night uh, and this is more of a tequila, vodka, champagne and scotch. Uh, type moment. You have the romantic dinner moment. This, this is more uh, our wine portfolio and uh, our champagne portfolio of brands. Uh, in Asia, you have what we call deal over meal moment. So we, we addressed that specific moment, for instance, with uh, our cognac brand, Martel, and so on and so forth. It's quite revolutionary um, um, from an organizational point of view because what it led us to do is uh, reorganize our marketing teams uh, by portfolio of moments and our route to market and our account segmentation by moments as well. And thanks to technology, by the way, we can, through social listening, for instance, uh, categorize accounts, you know, bars, restaurants, nightclubs, by moments okay. just by listening to them. So they're scanning. more likely to be in a certain moment or be yes. use that venue in a particular moment. Um, so the in a world where more and more socializing is happening online, how do you encourage people to create these? Because these are real life moments where you have to be physically present with other people. From my understanding, you know, you, you cannot have these moments de convivialité behind your computer screen at home. So I, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, when the first, uh, it was called uh, the, the, the former Match.com app uh, came up on the internet, a lot of my friends say, oh my God, it's finished for the wine and spirits industry because people aren't going to go out anymore. The reality is the reverse. Actually, what all these uh, social networks allow us to do is basically eventually uh, it helps people meet and then they have to get together. And by the way, uh, we did the analysis, uh, most of the time they get together around a drink. Could be a coffee as well, but it's nicer if it's a, a shivas on the rocks, if I take that example. <laughs> or a glass of champagne. <laughs> or a glass of champagne. But uh, so, so from that point of view, actually it works. Because in any given world, I mean, technology is an enabler and what it allows us to do, uh, actually my, my grandfather, when he founded Ricard, he, he had a, a very uh, nice uh, tagline, which was make a new friend every day. Well, I'll tell you, with social networks, you can make hundreds, even thousands of friends, new friends every day. You and probably don't want to have, have a drink to... with all of them though, to be honest. No. <laughs> well, you know, technology could help you. Uh, you know, you, you could have different people from across the world drinking at the same time together. Um, this actually brings me along to societal trends that are influencing your business because uh, the wines and spirits industry is actually a very interesting barometer of what's happening in society in general. So can, can you tell me about those, some of those trends and yes. how you are responding to them? So one of the biggest trends is a healthier lifestyle, which basically means, number one, drinking less but much better. Uh, which is perfectly, suits perfectly with our, our strategy, which we call premiumization. And high this is quality, particularly high among younger people, right, who are yes. drinking less than previous yes. generations. Yes, but much better. 
Um, so we're, we're not a volume-based business. We're really a, a value-based uh, business. So from that point of view, it works perfectly well. So high quality. Um, the second trend uh, um, is um, basically people are looking for substance, for heritage. For so this idea of terroir as well as you, you oh absolutely and, and we're lucky in so far as most of our brands have more than a hundred years of age or two hundred years of age or even in Martel's case uh, you know three hundred years of age Martel was uh, a, well, an entrepreneur came up with Martel in 1715 but at the same time there's another trend consumers people love innovation and the beauty of our industry is we can use these amazing products with have, which have so, so, such a heritage and play with them, but uh, with substance. Well, what does innovation mean in your business? What does it look like? I'll give you an example, which I think is brilliant. Um, actually, Martel was the very first cognac to be shipped from France to the US um, because uh, that goes back in history. It was General Lafayette's favorite uh, tipple. So he was there helping our American friends and got his Cognac Martel shipped. So what our innovation team uh, in Martel decided to do is uh, kind of go back in history and say, how, how, can we, how, how can we use this piece of history? So they came up with Martel Blue Swift, which is a Martel VSOP Cognac, which is finished in American bourbon casks. Ah, okay. So there does seem to be this trend now to, uh, I think that you call it blended something or other, I don't know. So like you have whiskies which are finished in different types of casks to before and whatever. So you're tinkering yes. with the process a bit. Yes, yeah, so uh, innovation is, can be about products. Innovation can be about um, basically experiences and services as well. Um, how are you using technology to support your mission of being creator de convivialité? Well, what, uh, what technology allows us to do uh, is uh, internally change our ways of working to be much more efficient. Uh, we were, I think, one of the very first companies in Europe uh, to de develop our own internal enterprise social network, which basically brought our uh, 18,500 colleagues from around the world on the same platform to exchange ideas, information, um, so and for a decentralized company, this is pretty important. I'm it's guessing. brilliant. And, and when, you, when you share ideas, um, we, we have many best practices that decided that were adopted by, by different markets around the world. And uh, back in the day before we had this platform, it would take maybe six to nine months. Now it can, it's a matter of days and in some more complex cases, weeks. So it had a, a great impact. Externally as well, uh, it allows us to better understand our consumers. So we listen better to them and at scale. It allows us also to interact uh, with our uh, consumers, um, uh, even on a personal note. Uh, and to track these moments of consumption. And track all our moments of conviviality, absolutely. Um, I saw as well, you, there was another trend uh, for home mixology and you have some kind of a home mixology experience that you can order in your mobile and stuff like that. Yes, because we, we, we launched uh, a few years ago, five years ago, the Breakthrough Innovation Group, uh, whose mission is to come up with uh, more disruptive innovations, leveraging or anticipating a number of trends. And one of these trends is called home viviality. So, uh, okay. nice little sharing uh, togetherness moments at home around our drinks. 
And so they decided to work on, on a, basically the first ever connected home bar. So you basically have it on a platform. Actually, it's not bowls. They look more like books. And uh, you have a, an app you interact with, uh, and it's all connected. And it allows you uh, to basically do your own cocktail at home. And I know you have your own home bar, so do you use this in your own home bar? So I'm lucky enough uh, to, to have a big living room, which actually I transformed into a bar. So in a way, I, I live in a bar. Uh, I, it's beautiful. Uh, it took me two years to uh, Alex to told me he has done. more than a thousand different bottles of different spirits. So I can have fun doing quite a lot so of So you cocktails. can make a lot of different cocktails from that. <laughs> Um, what are your biggest ambitions for Perna Rica for the next year or two, let's say? And also in the longer term. Yeah, I, I, th I think Perna Rica is there for the very long term. Our, our vision sig signature, Créateur de Convivialité. I, I want our, our company, uh, if we call it a company, I, I want our organization to be one of the most aspirational organizations in the world. Uh, we, we follow, uh, we survey every two years our 18,500 colleagues from around the world. It's a third party that does this, it's independent. And, and we want to know what our people think. Um, and you know, when, when you, you hit rates of 94% of the people in Pernod Ricard are, are extremely proud uh, to be members of Pernod Ricard that almost 90% of them feel committed or totally committed uh, to, to the business. Uh, our sustainability and responsibility um, uh, values are critical for us and, and we want to bring them to life uh, with even more uh, importance. And we've been doing this for the last 50 years. I was mentioning L'Institut Oceanographique Paul Ricard. It's the oldest private institute for the ocean in Europe. Amazing. So, you know, we, we stand for a set of values. I, I, I'd like people to know what we stand for around the world. I, I want us to be one of the most aspirational companies. And at the end of the day, I want our brands, our experiences, and our services to be associated to every nice little memorable moments in people's lives. If you were not the CEO of Pernod Ricard, what would you be doing with your life? I'd probably be building my own distillery, uh, and it would, it, would be, it would probably be a whiskey distillery because uh, I've had a lot of experience uh, running a, the, part of the whiskey side of our business. So, uh, and, I, and I'd try to compete with the, the likes of Jameson and Chivas. But you don't want to tell us anything else in case anybody out there steals the formula for your no, future No, but you know, it's, uh, you know, we have uh, brands that are hundreds of years of age and there's so much innovation we can do with them using the ingredients, uh, using our, our blending techniques, uh, our savoir-faire, our expertise. There's so much we can do uh, both inside the product and outside, including the packaging. So um, I'm, I'm passionate about the business and I, I feel I feel so lucky to be doing something uh, I'm happy to get up for every single morning. Well, that's a fantastic note in which to finish. And please join us all later on in the main stage for the final of the Shivas Venture Social Entrepreneurship Competition, which will be at 5.30. Thanks to everyone, and thank you to Thank you. Thank you.